My name is Ephraim. I'm from the South Suburbs, Chicago. I moved here with my wife. Uh, we both went to Eastern, and this is kind of the next biggest town between there and Chicago. So we needed a bigger town than what Charleston was, because Charleston is whoosh, itty bitty, right? And uh, we took a leap of faith, came up here, because my wife, she was looking for a teaching job, and there wasn't one in Charleston. So she ended up getting one here, and I guess the rest is history. I was baptized Catholic, and Grandma also was a big influence to us. Uh, she lived across the street from the church that she went to. So we spent countless times going to church there with her. And man, if you spent the night at Grandma's house, you had to get up and you had to go to church in the morning with her, or you spent the next five hours with Grandpa watching the preachers in the morning. So we went to church. <laughs> so I always grew up, you know, kind of, knowing about Jesus and Jesus being in our life. Jesus was introduced to us at an early age, just in your daily life. Like you would go through things and, and you know, we learned to pray, always pray before meals and going here and going there. Anytime you talk to grandma, it always came up in conversation. Where I had my point where I kind of wandered for a little bit, you know, just because you weren't, we all have that point where you're like, am I sure? Well, I had that point where I was, I, I got new friends and was looking at different things and went through my whole stage of questioning. Here I am back in church now with my faith firmly put in the Lord. One thing that I, I did kind of make me question what was going on is that you could have some people who weren't Christian and everything would go right, right? And then you have other friends who are Christian and they're just pounded with stuff just constant, and then you just get this feeling like, well, why is this happening to this person? And you know that those are the type of people that you see have the strongest faith. You're going, but why is this happening, you know? Like, and it wasn't until I started reading more, like Job had a really hard life, but at the same time, some people have had it a whole lot easier. And it just makes you wonder. Early on in David's life, everything was, you know, pretty good. It wasn't until later where things got worse, but Job was just constantly stuff. I ended up meeting my wife. When I met Tanissa, I wasn't going to church all the time. You start missing one Sunday, and then it's another Sunday, and you know, before that, once a month turns into twice a month turns into, you know, I'd kind of strayed a little bit. It wasn't one of my first priorities. And then meeting Tanissa and then getting reintroduced to the church through her totally opened up my eyes because it gave me a whole different perspective versus everything that I was taught before. I met a whole different group of people who lived different than what I was doing at the time. And to be swallowed up by another group of believers just kind of helped reaffirm that for me, but just seeing my wife and just how everything radiated from her. There wasn't a specific moment, but more a length of time because it was a huge commitment in her life, how she was involved in the church. She also taught Sunday school there too, um, and she was part of that team. She was also on the worship team, and I ended up being part of that too because we both share some of the same gifts. biggest things that drew us into was the playground. <laughs> because uh, you know how when you're here and you're just like, oh, it's 
wintertime. We gotta find something to do. These kids have to get some of this energy out, right? And so we're introduced to the church here. And then actually Jordan, he invited us to church one day. Been pretty much coming back. It just became a big commitment in our lives because we got to introduce, you know, the kids to Jesus too. And yeah, it was awesome. You never really know what Christ has in store for you um, because possibilities are, are endless. It could be something small now, but that thing could turn into something else massive later. Um, but you can't see it because you're looking at it from your small point of view and Christ has this ginormous view of everything that's gonna happen. And it could be something as simple as you saying, hey, I'm sorry, I can't go because I gotta go to church. And you're like, oh, you go to church and then it comes up in conversation and then you just, like for example, oh yeah, I go to church, would you like to come with us? And next thing you know, Jordan did that and we haven't left. <laughs> God has a whole different plan for you, even though you may not see it at that time, that it could make a huge difference in not, not just your life, but someone else's life. And just kind of understanding that everything is bigger than just you. My name is Ephraim Tutwiler, and this is my story. That was money. That sounds great. That was great. You know, there's, there's coins and, and, and feathers just scattered everywhere outside of the temple. Tablecloths and, and, and tables completely upended a few broken legs. You see, just a couple moments ago, this place was filled with hundreds, if not thousands of people waiting to, to worship, waiting to get their life right with God. But now it's virtually empty, except for a few chief priests and the religious elite. Some of them are, are kind of picking up the, the situation of this bizarre circumstance of how one man has come in and just upended their entire marketplace. Yet off in the corner, you could picture a few others, not just discussing what just happened, but plotting their next move. One of them leans into the other. I don't know about you, but I've just had it up to here with this Jesus guy. He's made it tough. He's made it difficult already, but man, this is where I want to draw the line. And I don't want to hear any of that, oh, but what if he's right type? No, 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 because he's just making it too difficult for our business to continue. And it's almost at, at the same moment, there's this tree outside the city that every Every word, every tug of their heart against the savior of the world, this tree begins to deteriorate from the inside out. That the darkness from within, from the roots begins to expose itself, begins to wither. The leaves begin to fall, the branches weaken. And what we begin to see is that with each word, each decision, moment by moment, choice by choice, that this tree is sapped of life in a similar way in which the souls are being mimicked of their deterioration on the inside. That a fig tree will become a figure of speech of one of the most heartfelt, prophetic, tense, and certainly confusing moments 
in the ministry of Jesus. I want to welcome you to week four of First Things First with us here at First Christian. Whether you're catching us online, church, on, church online, Facebook, or if you're gathered in one of our physical locations, or perhaps you're tuning in via Fox, we're glad that you have chosen to spend part of your Sunday with us. You know, today is week four of this series in which we're kind of just telling everyone, well, here's who we are. Here's what we're about as a church. And so if you ever found yourself asking that question, what is First Christian about? What do you guys want to be known for? Well, it's this. It's this series. It's this six weeks as we kind of unpack that for everyone. You know, a few weeks ago, we unveiled our new mission statement. And it wasn't really a change to our mission, but really just how are we going to talk about it? And so... If you've missed it, let me get you up to speed here. This is our new mission statement here at first. That we say, if you want to know what we are ultimately about, it's this. That we are all about helping each other follow Jesus. Helping each other know God, love God. Helping us uh, connect with one another, our community, to advance the kingdom as disciples, as people who are trying to actively love God and love others to see the kingdom, the glory of God expound. But we also said, you know, a mission statement is good. It's important. It's valuable. But what are we going to do? What are we going to look like in order to accomplish that? And this is where our new five values come into play. And we've been unpacking these week by week over the last couple of weeks. And today we're going to be in value three. But here's a quick recap for you. Number one, we said that our first value is to be a loving community. That we pursue people with love and dignity, regardless of who they are, where they look like, or, or, or where they're from in their past, present, or future. Number two, Danny talked about last week about our second value of outward compassion, that we seek after the one, we look out for the left out because that was Jesus's example for us. And number three, today we're gonna unpack our third value, which is growing faith. That we as a church, we as, as Christians, we as first Christian, we prioritize ongoing spiritual growth that's built upon the power and the authority of God's word and the power of his spirit, that we are biblically saturated and prayerfully dependent as we seek to grow in our faith with God and with others. And so if you have your Bible, I wanna invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 11 this morning. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then we also have Luke and John. Together, these make the four gospels that give us a biography of the life of Jesus. And in Mark chapter 11, let me just set it up for you really quickly. Here's what we have going on is that we're, we're, we're nearing the end of Jesus's ministry and life. He has ridden into Jerusalem on that donkey, that, that, that humble posture as a servant, getting ready to say, I am going to sacrifice my life so that anyone who believes in me, anyone who repents of their sin and believes in the work that I will do by my life, my death, my resurrection, I will take away the sins of any single person who expresses faith in me. So he's, he's just a few days away from that gruesome crucifixion and that glorious resurrection that complete what we know to be the gospel message. A few days away from seeing the fullness of God's love and grace and mercy on display in unequivocal fashion. But before, there's a couple other things that happen. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12, follow along with me. 
It says the next day as they, that's Jesus and his disciples were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, meaning it was blooming, it was blossoming, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So here's what we have is we kind of have a hangry Jesus moment, right? He's, he's hungry. He goes to a tree. Then all of a sudden he's hangry. It's hangry Jesus here. Some scholars think that maybe this story is what resulted in the parable that Luke shares with us in Luke chapter 13. Either way you slice, no matter what, this is kind of an odd passage, right? Because in some ways, uh, this is the only miracle of destruction that we see in the life and ministry of Jesus. Every other miracle that Jesus does, it's one of creation or restoration. He's, he's feeding people, making things come out of nowhere, healing people who, who no one would have ever thought to be able to walk or, or see again. And yet here, Jesus is almost doing the opposite. You know, it makes me wonder, Jesus, why, if you're so upset with this tree, why not just force figs out of it instead of cursing it to maybe die or wither? And what we begin to see is that this isn't so much a miracle as much as it is an explanation, is, is an allegory, is an illustration of what we're going to see next. But it does beg the question, why would Jesus curse a tree for not having figs when it was not yet the season? Well, we need to kind of talk about trees for a little bit, fig trees to understand what's happening. And so fig trees in, in, in throughout scripture in the Old Testament, the New Testament, they were a symbol. They were a representation of one standing before God. Meaning that if you were considered a fig tree full of, of leaves, of fruit, of life, that means that you were walking with God and kind of the opposite. Now, now a fig tree, when it would have leaves, it meant that fruit was on the way. That, that you'd begin to see, see buds. You'd begin to see the promise of fruit. Now, we, we're going to learn that we're in the, the Passover season uh, of Jesus' life in this moment. Now, it wasn't quite the season for figs, as Mark tells us. But that tells us two things. Is number one, if a tree has leaves, there's the promise of fruit. And number two, though, it also means that this isn't past the season in which the figs could have all been picked through. And what we're going to, to really understand this morning, to really get into this text, is that we have to remember that, that there is a representation of happening. Because on the surface, the tree that Jesus approaches, it has the leaves, it's full. It has the, the promise of fruit and life. But there's something that he knows that we don't. There's something about this tree that Jesus understands that we don't see. Because as Jesus curses this tree, I need you to know this. This isn't like a, a magical bad thing saying, I'm going to cause you to die. Rather a curse. It was usually a pronouncement of a result that was already displeasing. And so Jesus knows something about this tree. Jesus knows something that we don't. That on the surface, it looks good, but something else is going to happen. And we're about to see is how this story about a fig tree is going to connect. It's going to be a setup and used as an illustration for how people and their hearts are in tune with God or not. So Mark continues in verse 15. This is how it continues. 
He says, so on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. It's Passover, they're, they're gathering, they're, they're getting ready to make sacrifices, to worship, to, to, to atone with God. And Jesus, he overturned the tables of the money changers and of the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. They were using it as like a shortcut. He's like, no, no, we ain't gonna do that neither. And as he taught them, he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. So I just got to say this. This is one of my favorite stories about Jesus because it paints just a real and raw picture of Jesus. Now it's the Passover season. So there's kind of a lot happening to kind of maybe paint this picture of what is truly unfolding. So since it was Passover, this means hundreds, thousands of people would be coming into the city of Jerusalem to go to the temple to worship God and make their right, their atoning sacrifices. Now, at this moment, they're under the Old Testament law and sacrificial system in which you would have to sacrifice an animal for your sins, for your mistakes, for your blunders, that there must be blood shed, the the debt must be paid to make you right with God. You see, because God is holy, he must be just, and therefore amends have to be made for sins. But because God is holy, because he is loving, He made a way even before Jesus to show grace and say, but guess what? It doesn't have to be your blood. But what you had to do, the thing was, is you had to get a holy sacrifice. Uh, think, Think something that was worthy or pure. You had to get an animal, whether it was a ram, a bull, a dove, a goat, a sheep, whatever it is to, to make atonement for your sins. It could not be blemished. It had to be kosher. So kind of here's the situation, if you will. You, you would walk up to this merchant market that the, the, the high priest would establish. And you would kind of walk up and they would say, ah, good sir, why art thou here? Does thou uh, desire to maketh one right with thy God? And you would say, well, 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 well yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Which sins doth thee commit in this past year? Well, I did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, sprinkle some of that on top, and boom, here's where you're at. And they say, ah, well, well, well. Well, to makeeth amends, you must uh, uh, appropriate such uh, sacrifices as these, and you are in such good luck because we happen to have the kosher, pure, unblemished uh, sacrifices that thy God requires for thou to maketh thee right with thy Lord. And so you're there, you're in the moment. You've just probably come from hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away. And you're like, okay, this is why I'm here. Let's do this. But the problem that Jesus saw was twofold. Because number one is that they were upcharging the cost of these animals, nearly 3,000% to make a little bit of money on the side, to kind of take advantage of those who are simply trying to come in and worship God. And the second problem is that they were doing this in the outer court, sometimes referred to as the Gentile quarters, the place where people outside of the faith were given a promise and a privilege 
to have a perspective of what it means to live in a right relationship with God. But they would bring all of those people there. So all of the outsiders who wanted to know more about God, who wanted to explore faith were not allowed in. And so Jesus, like the fig tree in this moment, he gets big mad. Now he's not hungry anymore. He's just straight up angry at what is happening because there's an appearance of fruit. There's an appearance of these people being maybe spiritual or religious, but the fruit is keeping people out. That in one instance, they were taking advantage of people who wanted to know God. But in another instance, they were excluding those who were coming to say, I just want to know more. My life, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. I want something to quench what is happening inside me. So Jesus enters into this temple and he begins, he begins to drive out. Ekbelo. It's the same word that gets used for exercising demons. He's flipping tables and he's pushing people out saying, this is my father's house, a house of prayer, a place of worship for all nations, all people. But you have turned it in to a den of robbers, a bandit's hideout. This is not the place for you to to hide out, to store up your ill-gotten gains from other people. The scene kind of settles. We begin to see that the religious leaders are beginning to say, that's it. It's a foreshadowing of how Jesus is going to sacrifice. He's going to give up his life for the ransom of many. But then we remember that outside the city, there's still that tree (laughs) that just earlier that day, Jesus had a strange encounter with. So Mark wraps up this story, starting in verse 20. Continue along with me here this morning. So it says, the next day in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said, Jesus, to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So kind of here's what's happening. They're they're kind of going out in the city and and they walk by the tree. And now this time though, the the tree, it looks a little different. It's it's withered from the roots and they're going back to the city. They're going back through the temple and and Peter's like, whoa, Jesus, look, it's that tree. What happened? It's completely withered because of your curse. And Jesus, I think, takes this moment to say, yeah, You know why? Because its roots were no good. Its heart was dark. Don't don't just look on the outside. Was there fruit? Uh, I feel like Jesus is saying, he's, he's like, this tree represents what you just saw in this city. What you just saw me do in the temple, you know, my, my righteous anger of the people who on the surface had it all together, but deep down we knew that there was something off, something not connecting. He said, it's the same thing, just like this tree. Do not be like this tree. 
because people are going to see you from a distance, leaves. People are going to come to you hungry. And if they walk away hungry, you've missed an opportunity. Do not be like this tree. It's like when, when Mark says a couple chapters earlier in chapter seven, when he quotes the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 29, he says, it's like the people whose lips honor God, but their hearts are from me. They're withered to the roots. You know, I think, I think what Jesus is, is kind of saying, what he's getting, he's saying, it's easy to have leaves. It's easy to have leaves. It's easy to, to, to externally look like on the surface that everything is good and dandy and, and with the way it should be. But we know that unless your roots are good, there's not going to be any fruit. So what this, what this passage is saying to me and to us we see is that Jesus deeply cares about a lack of fruit in the lives of people, especially those who claim to follow him. So it causes us to stand back and say, well, do we? Do, do I? Do you? Do you take seriously the call to bear fruit as a disciple? Or do you just settle for the appearance of fruit? Do you just settle for the leaves on the surface, but know deep down that the roots really aren't that strong? You see, if you're kind of with me in this moment, you're, you're, you're feeling a little convicted. You're, you're feeling a little, little maybe uh, uh, nervous, causing you to say, I, I don't know. Yeah, my life doesn't seem to have a whole lot of fruit. I think that's what Jesus wants. I think that's what Mark is trying to communicate is that, that Jesus is taking this seriously because this is what's happening to me. As I read this story, as it unfolds before me, it reminds me that, that, that we, we are called to be disciples not just look like them. We're called to be the church, not just, just look like the church. But too often, if you're like me, and I'm sure you've been there before, we, we settle for the appearance, but not the real thing actually happening. Here's what I love about Jesus, is that it's clear he has a desire for all of his, his, uh, his trees to bear fruit. But he gives a, ren a, 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 a remedy for having good roots. What does he say to Peter immediately? He says, have faith. Go to God in prayer. Know him. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, is that this is how we remain rooted, is remembering the forgiveness that God has shown to us. Is that God's forgiveness is received, not achieved. I think Jesus is looking at Peter. He's, he's, he's communicating to us in this moment. He says, before you even go, try to go anywhere, you need to not trust in yourself. You need to not trust in, in your good work. You need to trust in me, the savior of the world, the one who's going to extend to you forgiveness. And so that when you go to God in prayer, when you go to God in his word, when you go to God in every part of your life, just remember that it's because of the forgiveness that I have given freely to you as a gift of grace. That we do not earn forgiveness by forgiving others. Rather, our grace towards others is a representation of the forgiveness that we have received. That without forgiveness, we have no power of faith. Without forgiveness, we have no root with Jesus. But Jesus is clear. 
If you're going to be in me, if you're going to be in my orchard, if you're going to be a person of faith, there's got to be fruit. You know, this, I think this is just, just, just in line with the, the story we saw from Ephraim a few moments ago. So yeah, yeah, I grew up going through the motions. I went to church a few times. I knew some of the sayings and some of the things, but it wasn't until my heart was changed, that my heart was transformed, that he is saying, that he communicated and shared his story with all of us, saying that is where the real fruit began to show up. And so just like Ephraim, just like the tree, just like the temple, it means to us the same thing. That the true condition of someone before God is not what you see on the outside, but the health of the roots. The psalmist tells us over and over again that man looks to the outward, to the outside, but God looks at the heart. It's funny though, because like, don't we kind of just get this? Like, 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 like don't, we, don't we hear stories like this all the time, even of people outside of the Christian faith? Like, like you, you hear of the superstar athlete who's, who's won the rings, they've got the house, they've got the money, and they just, they begin to say, I don't know, but just, just something is still just missing and crumbling in my life. That famous actor who's surrounded by people with the paparazzi and everything going on, you know, they talk about how they feel more lonely than they could ever imagine the social media star influencer who, who shares that behind the post, actually, things are quite the wreck. The business owner who, who decides to choose profits over integrity, and then they're kind of concerned about how did I get here with my life? Why? It's because the outside does not matter as much as the inside. So that's what Jesus is asking all of us. He's saying, if you want your life to be fruitful, if you want to have that abundant life in me, Jesus says that I have talked about, you must stay rooted. You can't just go through the motions. You can't just put on the mask. You can't just play church. You have to stay rooted in me, in my work, in my forgiveness. What Jesus is saying is staying rooted in Jesus grows our faith. That's it. You want to grow in your faith. You want to not just have leaves, but have fruit in the kingdom of God. You need to ask yourself. It's the question that I've been asking myself this whole week. What is the root of my faith? So I'm just honest for a second. Sometimes is the root of my faith truly Jesus? His gospel message, the grace he's given to me? Or is it so that I can look good on a Sunday morning to appease my job? Is the fruit of my faith truly that, 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 that vital relationship with him? Or is it, is it hopefully that I have something, something wise or smart or, or funny to say when someone picks up the phone? Or is my faith truly about growing in the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the obedience of Jesus? And so, so here's where it's at. With, with us as trees of, of faith, you need to wrestle with this question. How is your root? Because of Jesus, because of forgiveness, because of faith, we can and should grow in our faith. That's part of our sanctification, our obedience of belonging to him. So here's how I want to wrap up this morning's message. It's kind of allow us all to answer and wrestle with this question. How do we grow in our faith? There's four things. G-R-O-W. Number one, first thing, is that we need a gardener. 
John talks about it in, in chapter 15, when Jesus says, uh, recount the words of Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the gardener. He's going to take care of you. He's going to nourish you. He's also going to prune you. He's also going to call you out, but it hurts, but you need to trust him. So that's the first thing is we need to know that there is a God who loves us. There is a God who wants to take care of us. There is a God who is calling us to live a life with him. We need to first understand that we have a gardener who wants to take care of us as trees to produce fruit. Second thing is we need to have those solid, strong roots. And the roots of us in, in, in life and in faith and following Jesus is, is that forgiveness. It's that gospel message that we've received that grace, that we've repented of our sins, that we are chasing after him, that we're picking our, up our cross daily, that we don't trust in anything other than Jesus. You don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in your political views. You don't trust in, 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 in what the world has to offer. No, 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 no. You need to have that strong root in Jesus. That's the good news of the gospels. That root never changes. You receive it. It is not earned. It is not taken from you because it is not yours to give that you cannot lose that root as long as you remain to the branches. But here's what I think we all need to ask ourselves is where is the root? Because where the root of our life is, that's where we're going to find nourishment. And what you can't do is uproot and try to reroot yourself every single day, every single week. I think too often. We say, well, I'll, I'll root myself in God and Jesus on Sundays. Then I'm going to pick up my roots and I'm going to plant them in my job. I'm going to plant them in my success. I'm going to plant them in my relationships Monday through Saturday. And then we're going to come back to church and pick up those roots and try to reroot them in Jesus. You no, know, Jesus is saying, you need to stay rooted in me, in my forgiveness, in my love. The third thing is that we need others. Trees grow best in groves, don't they? They can lean on each other. They can protect one another. They can nourish one another. They feed off one another. You see, information and isolation rarely leads to transformation in our walk with God. Jesus never asks us to go through life alone. He says, I will be with you. I will send my spirit to live in you. And guess what? He also though says time and time again, do not go at it alone. That's why you have the church. That's why you have other people. Paul talks about it in Galatians, to bear with one another. The author of Hebrews says to spur one another on to faith and good works. We need others. And number three or four, the last thing that we need as trees is to be watered. We need to be watered daily. Plants need that nourishment each and every day. The work of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, the word of God, the scripture, the Bible, prayer, service, generosity, all of that is how we water our roots to grow faith in God. That's something that needs to happen regularly, consistently, daily, not just once a week, not just for an hour a week, not just a couple times a month or when we have time. It needs to happen every day. We need to be with God. So here's the question I want to leave us all with this morning. Here's the question I want you to answer is how can I grow this week? How can I grow this week? Maybe one of the things you need to do is to get into God's word. Maybe it was a habit you used to have that you need to pick up. 
Maybe it's a habit that you need to start. You need to download that Bible app or grab that Bible off the shelf and just start reading and hearing and seeing what God has to say to you. Maybe you need to spend time going to God in prayer, making it consistent, saying this is a specific time in a specific place in a specific way I'm going to go to you, God. Or maybe, I think a lot of us, we just need someone to know and we're not going at it alone. So if that's you, whether you're, if you're in a group, reach out to that group leader. If you're not in a group, reach out to us. Find that spiritual mentor, that person that can help you grow, that person who can keep you accountable, that person who, who together you can walk and say, we both want to grow fruit for the sake of the kingdom of God because that is what we are called to do. Now, here's the thing. I know that the COVID, that this virus thing has shook us all up quite a bit. But it's not an excuse to not be growing. It's not something that we can say, okay, well, once that's over, I'm going to start growing in God again. Where, where are you producing fruit? Are you producing fruit? Because the answer is, is yes, continue there. If the answer is, I don't know, lean in. And if you're saying, you know what, I think Jesus is saying to me in this moment, not quite, guess what? Number one, that root is still there. That forgiveness is still yours. But he's saying to you, don't be like that withered, rooted tree. Have life. Have that fullness in me. It's not just maintenance, but it's a call to maturity for us all to grow in our faith. So this morning, as we move to our time of response, I want to invite us all to remember the ways in which we can experience the fruit of Jesus in us. One of the things that you can do is to be generous with, with your tithes and offerings back to God. One of the ways that you can give and, and be involved in the mission of first and by growing in your faith is through generosity. We use this thing called the Give app, G-Y-V-E. There's a lot of information there that can tell you a lot about who we are as a church. There's ways in which you can lean in, but that's an opportunity for us all to take a next step of growth in our faith in Jesus. But one of the things that we do each and every week to remember that forgiveness, to remember that root for all of us is by partaking in communion together. And so if you are at home, if you're at church where you are, or if you're joining us in one of our physical locations, we invite you to, to remember the work of Jesus with us together. That on Jesus's time before his death, on his last supper, he took the cup with the juice and he said that this is my blood spilt for you. Take and drink. At the same moment, at that same time, he held up the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Together, this unifies us as a body in the root of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your forgiveness. May it root us together and may it root us to you as we seek to grow in your kingdom. It's your name that we pray. Amen.